Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I am so happy that you're joining me here today. I am super excited about today's episode. It's not every day you get to talk to renowned author and world traveler all at the same time. Tish Oxenreiter from The Art of Simple is on the podcast with me today, and it was just so much fun getting to chat with her. Now, this summer, I have spent a little extra time reading a few books. I don't know if you guys like to read or not, but it's something I really enjoy doing. I don't always have as much time to do it as I want to, but I really enjoyed some of the things I've been reading this summer, and I wanted to share them with you. So my guilty pleasure this summer was a little book called The Astronaut's Wives Club by Lily Capel, and it was not a bad book. I enjoyed it, but I really enjoy that particular period of history. And I've always been kind of fascinated about what kind of lives the astronaut wives must have led. Another book that I really, really enjoyed this summer was The Daughter of Time by Josephine Tay. Now, this book is on the Ambleside reading list and was suggested for me by my friend Brandy Vinsel. I loved reading this book. I found it very fascinating. A great mystery. It's all about Richard III, who that's another favorite time period of history for me. Can you see a trend here? And I will be checking out other Josephine Tay mysteries in the future. I'm doing a little heavier reading this summer. I'm reading The Liberal Arts Tradition by Clark and Yane, and this is published by Classical Academic Press. This has been sort of my academic read for the summertime, and I've really enjoyed it and learned a lot about classical education from this book. I think it's one that my book club will eventually work our way through. And finally, another really great read that I read this summer was Notes from a Blue Bike by Tish Oxenreiter. The book really made me think about some of the ways that we do things in our life and just take a few moments to be a little more intentional about some of the things that we might be doing. It's a great read. I suggest you pick it up. And if you enjoy Tish's interview today, I know you're just going to love the book. Okay, so you be sure to pop on over to edsnapshots.com forward slash 16, where you can find links to all the books that I was talking about in the little intro here. And you can also leave me comments there with the favorite books that you've been reading this summer. I would love to see your suggestions so I could add some of those to my reading list. And hey, we've got a podcast coming up and we're going to get on with that podcast right after this note from our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by Simplified Organization. Simplified Organization is an e-course by my good friend, Misty Winkler. And what I love about the course is it does a few things for you. First of all, it gives you the tools you need to help you get organized. Secondly, it gives you tons of great helpful tips. And finally, perhaps the most important part, Misty really addresses your attitude towards organization. I find that my attitude is often the 
biggest barrier I have to getting myself organized. And that's such a large part of the Simplified Organization course. So Misty has a great freebie for us today. Going into back to school and getting ready to get started with the new school year, or maybe you're finishing up your homeschool planning, you probably have a lot of things jumbled up in your head. I know I do. And so Misty's freebie for us today is called The Brain Dump. So it's a PDF that you get to download for free. It's full of prompts that helps you take the first step towards getting organized which is getting all of the stuff that is floating around, swimming around, whirling around in your brain, out of your brain and onto paper so that then you can start doing something with it and think more clearly. So all you have to do is go to simplifiedorganization.com forward slash snapshots. And from there, you'll be able to grab your free brain dump download. Now, if at any time you would like to order anything from Misty's site, She has also offered us a coupon code. The coupon code is snapshots and you can use that to get 20% off anything that Misty offers. But go get your free brain dump download and check it out. And I think it'll really help you out as you get started with your new school year. And now on with the podcast. Tish Oxenreiter is a mom, writer, traveler, and entrepreneur who inspires others to live simply and intentionally through her blog, The Art of Simple, and through her books, which include Organized Simplicity, Notes from a Blue Bike, and One Bite at a Time, 52 Projects for Making Life Simpler. She and her husband, Kyle, homeschool their three children and believe that the whole world is full of opportunities for learning. Embracing this philosophy, her family embarked on an around-the-world trip for the entire 2014-2015 school year. Now back from her trip, Tish is in a unique position to share about what she calls world schooling. Tish, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's fun to talk about this. Oh, it's going to be a great time. Well, could you start off by telling me a little bit about your family? Sure. Yeah. So my husband, Kyle, and I have been married a little over 12 years, and we have three kids, ages 10, 7, and 5, and we share the workload and school load together, my husband and I, about 50-50. And so we both work from home and school from home, obviously, and we kind of live unconventionally in that way, doing a little bit of, you know, homesteading in our own nomadic kind of way. Well, how did you guys get started homeschooling? Well, it's kind of funny because, and I'm sure many people feel this way too, but I never in a million years thought I would homeschool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I grew up in the public school system and you had the stereotype of, you know, homeschoolers being weird and why would you do that? But we both wanted, we met, my husband and I met overseas. We were both doing nonprofit ministry work. And so whenever we got married, we knew that that would be part of our life. And so when we decided to move overseas as a family, we, the country that we were going to, Turkey, really didn't have any viable schooling options. We could have done the local schools, but we weren't comfortable with that for a number of reasons. And so it became one of these like, well, I guess we'll homeschool kind of things. (laughs) But it slowly went from a thing that we just tolerated, you know, to something that was just like, well, this is what we do to actually really loving it. And so it really started out of necessity overseas, but we brought it back with us when we moved back to the States. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how many people come to homeschooling almost reluctantly and then wind up falling in love with it and staying with it for a long time. Yes. It's I, yeah, I, my story is very similar to that. Well, I'm going to start you off with a multiple choice question. Are you ready? Yes. 
Your homeschool day is most like which literary classic? Would it be A, Persuasion, B, Plato's Dialogues, C, War of the Worlds, or D, Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors? <laughs> oh, funny. I'm going to have to go with War of the Worlds there, probably. <laughs> not that it sound, not that we're like in constant battle, but we are incredibly fluid right now in terms of how we do things. And in some ways, it does feel a little chaotic, like a battlefront would, <laughs> simply because of how nomadic we are at the moment. I can definitely relate to that. Sometimes it seems chaotic here and we're not nomadic at all. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there are just seasons when things seem to be more structured for us and then other seasons when they're just not. And so you're talking to me right now when they're just not at all. Well, you know, it's funny because I think you and I are a very similar personality type, kind of the INTJ thing. And (laughs) so how do you deal with all of the chaos when I know that that's not your natural (laughs) habitat for flourishing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of funny because my husband is an INFP and the P side of him is pretty strong, which means he's very adaptable. In fact, you know, the strengths finder test, his number one strength is adaptability. And so he brings a lot of that to the table where he can go with the flow and I bring the structure. And so I think we we're a good team, especially because we share so much of the load together that I provide what's needed in terms of, you know, okay, we do need to do these things, (laughs) this list of things, but he helps me stay focused on the present, enjoying the moment and kind of, yeah, going with the flow, taking advantage of opportunities when they show up, especially when traveling. So I think that's why I don't think I could do it without him being right there as well. So you kind of balance each other out in a good way. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the best piece of advice, homeschooling advice that you received as a new homeschooling mom? Well, and I don't know ever if all homeschoolers buy into this, but I certainly do. When we first started, and as I said, we did it reluctantly, someone told me, think of it as a year at a time, go a year at a time, a kid at a time, you know, and and at first my daughter, my oldest, who was going into kindergarten, her younger brother was two. So I only had the one right then. And I just thought, okay, it's easy for me, especially, you know, INTJ, I'm a huge planner. Mm -hmm. I'm already thinking about, but what will 12th grade look like? Will she get into college, you know? And it really helped me to think, you know what? I don't have to think about it. I have to think about kindergarten. And in fact, I don't even need to think about kindergarten. I need to think about this next week or this next month, you know, and keep my goals within reach and keep them focused, but don't feel like every single minute detail is going to be a catastrophe if it doesn't line up exactly with whatever educational goal I have, you know, basically to enjoy the moment a little more, I guess, but really thinking of it just a year at a time. You know, it's funny, the second interview I've done for my second season and both of you, I also spoke with Jimmy Laneley and she Hmm. also started out homeschooling as an expat in a foreign country. So let me ask you a little bit about, was there any homeschool support for you in Turkey at all? Actually, there was just among the expat community because the city we were in did not have an international school. So there was no English speaking school options at all. So the expats either did local schools, which were obviously in Turkish or homeschooling. And the vast majority of them did some form of homeschooling, even if they had their kids go to Turkish school, you know, for English and and that sort of thing. So there were a lot of fellow homeschoolers there. And I was really grateful for that. So you were lucky to be surrounded by a lot of of people who were doing the same thing. 
I was, but you know, it was funny, like the Turkish culture does not have a concept of homeschooling as do, do a lot of countries as well. And so our local friends, you know, our neighbors and Turkish friends really thought we were crazy. They did not understand the concept at all. Oh yeah. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking back to those early years, what is some advice that you didn't receive that you wish you had? You know, I always heard about thinking about your kids' learning styles and focusing on, you know, how would this child learn best? What's best for them? And that's one of the beauties of homeschooling. But I wish I was also encouraged to think about what style of teacher am I? And in some ways, what style of learner am I? Because I think so much of what we do in homeschooling is modeling a learner posture. And so it took me a few years to let go of the guilt that I'm not a crafty mom, for example. You know, I'm not going to be the type to build a model of the Parthenon or, you know, do the mummy chicken thing that people do when they study Egypt. I'm not going to be that type of mom. And I'm totally great with that now. But at first I really struggled. And so I tried to do more than I needed to do. And I tried to do things that just weren't not only were I not that great at, but I didn't even really like them. So I wish I was told that more to think about me and not just my kids learning styles. Oh, that's some great advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what is a book do you think that is a must read for your children before they leave your homeschool? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, you know, it's a tough call because I can think literarily and I can think practically. But gosh, I think for me, I really love Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. I feel like Jane Eyre is a great literary figure. I like her courage, her spirit. I like the writing in the book. It's really well done. It's a great example of a novel that, you know, is well written, but is also just a great story. And so that was my favorite book in high school from my reading assignments. And so I think I would love my kids to have that experience too, especially when we get old enough to tackle the classics. Does your family have any special homeschool traditions, like ways to celebrate the first day of school or? You know, the main one we do, and I don't know, I don't know if this is a tradition, but this is a routine we do. We let the kids wear pajamas one day a week. (laughs) And, you know, that's one of the benefits of homeschooling. But I also find that if we let them do that every day, we would just not get much done because I feel much more productive when I get dressed for the day. And so the kids do that too, but they do love wearing their jammies and I kind of do too. So we let them pick one day a week where they do that. And that's, I guess that's kind of a tradition in that that's what they've come to expect. And then last day of school too, we um, do a water balloon fight, which is fun. My kids would love that. That does sound fun. (laughs) It's kind of a fun little, like they know it's coming, but we do a, you know, parents versus kids kind of backyard water balloon fight. Okay. So does everybody have to choose the same day to wear pajamas or does it kind of stagger throughout the week that? (laughs) Any given day, somebody's going to wear pajamas. It can stagger throughout the week, but it does happen that when one wants to do it, the other tends to follow, especially the oldest. But they can pick whatever day they want. Ah, that peer pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Thinking back on the time that you've spent homeschooling your children, do you have a favorite memory or maybe an aha moment of when you were working with one of them? Well, I don't know if this is a specific moment, but, you know, this past year when we traveled around the world... It was a big step of faith for me because we had everything literally on our backs for the whole year. And so we couldn't take a lot of homeschool materials. We just basically had what we could fit. And so I was a little nervous about how well they would actually learn if they would be behind. You know, I guess we're we're always concerned about that. But I especially was just because this was going to be such an unorthodox year. But I also didn't want to be so bent on the checklist and making sure they get through curriculum that we miss out on some of the hands-on learning experiences that obviously come with a round the world trip. 
And so I remember, I think it was in Africa. So it was about halfway through our trip when my son basically understood fractions. And well, I, I realized that he learned fractions because he was explaining money. And, you know, we had to convert currency all the time. And we would be in markets. And so we used a lot of cash. And it was really cool to see that he understood basically by the coinage and the bills and how they equaled each other and comparing dollars and cents to the local currency that this was fractions. And so anyway, from then on, on the trip, I embraced more the idea of hands-on learning, you know, going with, even though we're not like actually getting through the math curricula like I Mm -hmm. want, he's still learning and probably in a more memorable way. Well, you know, it's funny. One of the questions I was going to ask you about the trip was, you know, it's obvious when you're going on a trip like this that you're going to be learning a lot about history and geography and art. How do you address other things like math and reading? And it it sounds like that they kind of took care of themselves. Yeah, they did in a way, you know, and I also at the same time felt like reading, writing and math were the three areas that I wanted to make sure we kind of kept up with on a semi-regular basis, though. That if we kept up with that, everything else would be gravy in some ways and everything else played to that. So we did bring math stuff with us. And then we tried as best we could to daily do a little bit of that in reading and writing. And then everything else was part of that. So if we went to the Great Wall of China, then obviously the writing topic would be (laughs) about the Great Wall of China or the reading material, the history, the geography, even the math in some ways. So it all blended in as homeschooling parents know works well. So yeah, we still wanted to focus on those three things. Speaking of the trip, so what inspired you and your family to just, you know, we're going to travel around the world? (laughs) Well, this is a trip we had been planning for about five years when we moved back from Turkey. Actually, a little bit before we had this little idea, wouldn't that be fun one day? You know, just kind of a lofty dream. When we moved back from Turkey, though, about a year after we first had that idea, it was sudden. We weren't planning to move back, but we found ourselves having to return for some health reasons. And we mourned the loss of that expat life that we had grown to love. And one of the things I loved about living overseas is giving our kids a global perspective, getting to actually be out directly in the world and seeing how other people live. And so Kyle and I both said, you know, let's actually make that happen still in our life. Let's not just say because we live stateside now that we can't have that. And so we just, you know, slowly started saving up a little at a time. And about four years later, we did it. Well, okay. I know you're a planner and I then <laughs> your husband is spontaneous. So as you're getting ready to embark on this trip, you know, from a homeschooling perspective, and even just from a a living perspective, how much of this was meticulously planned out and how much of it was kind of fly by the seat of your pants? Right. Well, we needed to have some sort of plan before we even left, you know, we needed plane tickets. (laughs) And so we knew that uh, something had to be structured. And of course, me, you know, I prefer that. Believe it or not, actually, though, whenever I travel, I do loosen up a bit, I um, become a bit more fly by the seat of my pants. I find this to be true, and Kyle does too, that we take on different parts of our personality in a cross-cultural setting, so it's kind of strange. But what we did was we planned three months at a time. So we we worked through a service that specializes in round-the-world tickets, consolidating, and you could buy multiple leg trip flights all at once and not have to return at all. And then you could just pick up where you left off and continue, you know, basically buying another set of tickets. So we did our first three months of of flights and then use that as a framework for everything else. And there were, at first we tried to plan out our housing well in advance, you know, a month or so. And by the end of the trip, 
there were times when we booked a place the night before. (laughs) So we loosened up quite a bit on that. Well, what about the homeschooling side of it? You mentioned like being at the Great Wall of China and saying, okay, this is the writing that day or the reading that day is going to be about this. How much did you try to coordinate kind of the things that you were studying in your homeschool with what you were seeing around you? Was that hard to do? Yeah. Well, it was hard to let go of some of my plans and ideas. You know, we do what I call a very laid back classical approach. And so, you know, the history is chronological and we were in a specific part. We use story of the world as our history and, you know, we're working through it at a very obvious (laughs) chronological pace. But at the same time, if you're going to be near, for example, the Great Wall of China, you're not just going to say, kids, I would love to go see this and I'd love to learn more about it, but that's not where we are in the history. So, you know, <laughs> you know, of course you're going to stop and actually make, um, make that part of what you were doing that day. So we continued our, where we were in our history, but we very much just went with where we were to study where we were, because I really do think that that's how you learn best, you know, hands on right there with you using living books, using just the world around you. And um, one of the things we did that was helpful is on the iPad, there's an app for building a timeline. And so as we were, you know, learning things in Story of the World, we would add a timeline. But as we were also learning about something around us, we would add that to the timeline as well. So the kids could see that even though we were learning about, you know, Shakespeare, that when we're in the Great Wall of China, we have to scroll way back, you know, mm-hmm. and you put it right over there. And it actually provides a lot of context, especially when you start layering the trip. You know, a month or two later, you're over in New Zealand and you're learning about the Maori people and when they came to the island and you can see, oh, this coincides with this during, you know, whatever was happening in Asia. And so it's really fun. Do you remember the name of that app? (laughs) I could look it up and give it to you so you could put it in the show notes. I don't have the iPad with me, but um, it took me a long time to find the right one because there's a lot of timeline apps but I wanted something really specific and this is the closest one I could find. So I can send it to you. Okay, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think allowing the kids to make those connections, you know, Charlotte Mason talks a lot about that, where just because you're going to the Great Wall, it doesn't mean everything has to be a unit study about the Great Wall. Let them kind of see some of those connections for themselves. Absolutely. It sounds like the app was a great way to do that, too. It was. It was. It really was. Well, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask people, I don't think it's necessarily their favorite one to answer, but one of my favorite ones to ask people is about if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only take three things with you to homeschool, what would they be? And you probably have like the closest <laughs> real life experience to this. Uh-huh. So how do you plan to homeschool for a trip around the world where you do have everything on your back? What did you take? Yeah, I was actually thinking of that when I was listening to some past episodes. Like this is very similar to what we did. Well, yeah, we were limited to what was on our back, not only space wise, but weight wise, too. You know, I'm not going to bring a huge atlas or, <laughs> you know, some kind of heavy book. So we relied pretty heavily on our digital products. And so I don't know if this counts on a deserted island because, you know, in this imaginary scenario, you have Wi-Fi. Which I I know you struggled with last year. (laughs) Oh, totally. That's the other thing. It's like, I mean, yeah, you think the Internet's everywhere and it is, quote, you know, but it definitely is better in some places than others. But at the same time, the iPad really, really helped. You know, we used apps that were great for phonics and spelling and, you know, math reinforcement. It wasn't, you know, probably our first choice of things. If we were back home, we, I don't think we would use them as much, but they worked as great reinforcement. So I think for my answer, I would say the iPad and then 
the other reason is because I would have my overdrive app on that, which is connected to our public library. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's, that's the other thing we did on the trip. The kids all have Kindles or at least the readers do or older too, which I, I was kind of surprised. I'm not a big e-reader fan, but they are life savers whenever you're traveling. And so they each had a Kindle that was synced to our public library so they could read constantly. So our Kindles and then, um, honestly, a notebook and pen. <laughs> I was surprised, you know, each kid had a spiral bound notebook and a pencil or a pen, and we did all of our work from there. And the cool thing about it, you know, like our daughter who was in fourth grade at the time, her writing assignment was basically to write a paragraph a day of what we did. And, you know, we'd incorporate grammar into that, some creative writing, geography and history. But the cool thing about it is that now she has the souvenir from the trip. Yes. You know, it's like this great thing that she can look back on in 20, 30 years and see her own writing explaining what she did that day. And so that was super helpful. And I was really surprised how much just a simple notebook and paper was really, you know, all we needed for our school time. Was there anything that you would consider, you know, quote unquote, traditional kind of either curriculum wise that you just you couldn't leave behind? You just had to take it with you. (laughs) You know, honestly, we we hardly did that. The math curriculum we use back in the real world is teaching textbooks, which I was hoping by the time we went on our trip that they would have a digital version, but they didn't. And our computers don't have CD drives. And so I just thought, you know what, for the trip, we're just going to do something else. And about halfway through, I wish I had brought it. I wish I had gotten a, you know, a CD drive that I could just connect to our computers because I just, it was a good, it's a good program for our kids. And they did miss that. So I went pretty unorthodox. And for the most part, it was fine. But there were a few things I really did miss. Well, and I think it's like any year of homeschooling. You look back on the year and you go, you know, gee, I wish I would have done that differently. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes we get dazzled by the the new shiny thing or what mm-hmm. your friend says they love and you're, you're tempted to use it. And then you realize uh, later, you're like, you know what, that was working just fine for us. I need to go back to what was working. Well, Tish, what were some of the things that you did to help prepare your children for this trip? Well, the year before in our homeschool, I made geography more or less our spine you know, I made that our backbone for what we studied and all the other subjects. And so we really emphasized map work, map tracing, studying the countries and their capitals, basic information about, you know, their political environments as best you can with um, the grammar stage. And I found that really helped when we started traveling because the kids already had a basic grasp of, you know, Asia and its culture and where the countries were. And, you know, so when we got to Thailand, for example, they knew it was near Burma and Cambodia and Vietnam and understood that a lot of these places have shared values and similar history. And so that was really, I don't know why I thought that that would be a great idea, but it really turned out to be a good move so that the kids weren't just blown away by by certain bits of geography, even though, you know, you're still learning and find ways to be surprised as you go. But you know what, in general, just homeschooling, I think set us up as a great advantage for our travels. We met some families who are also traveling around the world, just because it's a common thing. And you see it, you know, you run into people. And a lot of them went through a shock, went through a period of shock, because they pulled their kids out of school for a year to do their travels. And that part was a real change for them. And for us, it wasn't really (laughs) that big of a difference. And so I think just that alone helped us a lot. Oh, I can imagine how that would be a big advantage because you're used to kind of doing your own thing before you even set off. Right. And honestly, we're used to being around each other a lot, too. I think some of the families we had talked to would actually say that, like, are you guys sick of each other yet? Kind of like asking, you know, because we are. 
And, you know, I get what they mean. We didn't have babysitting like we do back States. And so we missed date nights, but for the most part, it's like, well, we're around each other all the time anyway. So not too much. And that was nice. Yeah, that would be nice. I I didn't even think about that because I'm around my kids all the time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Well, speaking of date night and things like that, what were some of the challenges of parenting while traveling? Well, you know, it's funny because we just said that we're around each other all the time, but we're not normally around each other all the time in super tight quarters like we were on the trip. You know, we are used to having our home where we can go in the backyard and spread out or one kid can be on the couch and the other one at the table. And for the trip, we were just right by each other a lot of the time, you know, whether it's a guest house that's a lot smaller than what we're used to, or if it's sitting in a really tight car, all five of us together or on a plane or a train. And so there was something about the physical space that also made parenting a challenge because you really didn't get much of that break. And, you know, I love homeschooling, but I'm an introvert. And so I value that alone time and that time to regroup, even being able to just like go to a coffee shop for to work for a couple of hours. And so that part became a challenge for all of us, even though we love being together most of the time, we still value our alone time. And we really didn't get much of that for the whole year. I have not, unfortunately, gotten the opportunity to travel overseas a whole lot. So do you find that there in a lot of the world, there are closer quarters for families in general? Oh, yeah, far and away. You know, I mean, most cultures around the world don't live in nearly as much square footage as we do typical Americans or North Americans. You know, when we got to Australia, it was more similar to American life. But even in Europe, it's very tight and just, you know, city infrastructures because they're older and were built before we had mass transportation, everything is just built closer together. And so families don't have as much space to sprawl. And um, it took a while to get used to that. Well, what do you think were some of the biggest takeaways for your kids looking back on the trip and with everything they got to see and experience? What do you think has left the biggest impact on them? Well, you know, it's fun to to visit cultures because of all the differences, but I think we all and the kids too, especially walked away with the idea that we're all more similar than different as mm-hmm. as humans. You know, we all have the same just innate God-given desires. We all have similar, I guess, life goals, you know, in terms of family and just wanting to find what we're made for and and who we are. And and so that I think was a really cool thing for the kids to experience, especially with other kids. You know, they would, our youngest one is really great about just playing with whoever's around him. And so it was fun to see that they would be on a playground or just in an, on a side street. And there would be kids there that they didn't share a language. They didn't share a culture, but they could play together. Mm -hmm. You know, they could just kick a ball around or they could just, you know, build something out of sticks and leaves. And So for them, I think it was neat to see that the world, even though it's big and we just traveled around it, it's also small. We all share a lot more values than we think we do. Yeah, I could definitely see my kids doing that. They make friends with everyone. And as the introvert, I'm like, shh, don't talk. I know, right? (laughs) They're like, hey, what's your name? Yes, (laughs) exactly. Yep. Well, not every family gets an opportunity to take a trip around the world. So what are some ways do you think that a family could implement the idea of using the world as a classroom, even if they maybe can't take off on a trip? I think one way is to actually be a traveler in your own town. Take advantage of the fact that you are homeschooling and embrace the flexibility and pretend to be a tourist in your own area. You know, visit museums, visit just different parts of town, explore different whatever it is you have, concerts, museums, different foods. 
And I think that alone will whet this appetite for learning more about the world. And I think it's helpful to also see you can learn a lot about different ways of living not too far from your home. And then with that, honestly, keep a map available and up front and center in your home at all times, I think. You know, nothing fancy. It can just be a simple world map. But that way, whenever there's something in the news or you're reading a book and it takes place somewhere, you can always reference it and see, okay, here's where we are and here's where the story is taking place or here's where this news event happened. And so you're just like, you're physically aware of your space related to the rest of the world around you. And then, you know, I think just having books, a lot of books from different that take place in different time periods, places, cultures. There's millions of them, you know, picture books, chapter books, and um, not don't be afraid to look into those. And the way we found a lot of our books was honestly just asking friends on Facebook and Googling it and seeing what we could find. And we found some great stuff. Yeah, there are some really awesome books that show like what different families around the world eat for a yes. week or where uh, what their the interiors of their houses look like. So there's some great kind of pictorial books. Yes, that your kids can see the pictures of these Very different true. things. And then, um, oh, the children. Is it children like me? Oh, yeah. They It's put out like Operation World People. I cannot remember the name if that's what I'm thinking of. But yes. Yeah, I'll, I have it downstairs. I just can't remember <laughs> the name of yes, it. It's a great but, book. Yeah, it is. My kids like to flip through it and look at the pictures and see how the, the different kids are dressed and all of those things as well. Another thing that we want to do this next school year is incorporate the places that we miss and love. You know, we're going to kind of relive the trip in a way from our home base. And so we're going to have maybe one meal a week that is from that place that we were in this time last year, you know, so Chinese food, Thai food, African, you know, different countries there and just kind of make it fun from our own kitchen. Oh, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, The kids, well, they like the idea of eating foods from different countries when Uh you actually, you know, sit down and put it in front of them. They're not quite so sure. Oh, yeah. Did you have picky eater syndrome at all while you were traveling? Uh Are your kids pretty flexible? I have one kid who's really picky and he's the middle kid. And so he influences the younger kid to think, oh, I should be picky too. (laughs) And so even though if he was pulled out of the equation, I think our youngest would be, it wouldn't cross his mind to be picky. But yeah, our middle guy, we were a little concerned about and he did okay for the most part. You know, it does help. We didn't do this often, but it does help that you can find pizza everywhere around the world. Mm. And so we would promise that, you know, if you're willing to try this food, we will get pizza sometime this week. And so he knew that, you know, there would be relief at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Get something he was used to. Right. Well, Tish, are you ready for a little pop quiz? I think so. I hope. Okay. (laughs) It's not hard. I promise. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Easy. Pen or pencil? Pen. Talker or listener? Listener. Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Cat person or dog person? Dog person. Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Oh, gosh. (sighs) Lord of the Rings, I guess. (laughs) Honestly, I would go with Harry Potter, but I'm going to, I can't answer that. So I'm going to say Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Oceans or mountains? Mountains. Essay or project? Essay. All right. Well, (laughs) tell me where people can find you online these days. Well, I write a community blog and spearhead it at theartofsimple.net. So they can find me there regularly. And a good place to get my more personal updates is through the newsletter that I write monthly. And there's a link there that they can sign up. But they can also find me on Twitter at Tish 
which is just TSH. <laughs> and another place I like to share is on Instagram. So it's Tish Oxenrider, my full name there. And we're still podcasting? Yes. For the podcast fans? Yes, I, we still podcast. I had to take a little bit of a hiatus while we were traveling, but it, the next season's going to rev up and back to a regular recording schedule. Awesome. Yep. Well, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. It was fun. I appreciate it. And there you have it. Episode 16 of the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I hope you guys enjoy listening to Tish chat about her trip as much as I did. I think it only could have been better if we could have seen all the slides. But be sure to go over to theartofsimple.net and check out the things that Tish has to offer over there. There's Notes from a Blue Bike, which I really enjoyed. The Simple Show, another great podcast. And also the Upstream Field Guide, Tish's new course. All of that is available at theartofsimple.net. And anything else we chatted about today, or if you want to leave a comment for either Tish or myself, you can do so at edsnapshots.com forward slash 16. And hey, everyone, we thank you so much for those ratings and reviews that you've been leaving on iTunes. It really does help us get the word out about the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. So if you like the show, we would love for you to take a moment to go over to iTunes and tell everybody what you think about it. You have a great couple of weeks and I will catch you back here soon with another great interview. And until then, keep on homeschooling.